right, Daniel, this is so exciting. We are in sections three through five today. Mm-hmm. Totally giddy about talking about Martin Harris, Joseph Smith, the loss mm-hmm. of the transcripts. This is good stuff. Yeah, I'm interested in uh, looking a little bit more about what it means to be a good servant of God, specifically in Doctrine and Covenants 4. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about talking about Martin Harris. There's a lot to his life, there's a lot to his person. And we also learn from Martin Harris about Joseph Smith and the nature of God as well, which is frankly pretty exciting as we start talking about this. Yeah, so welcome to all. And before we get started on our discussion, maybe we can follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's do it. So today we are in Dr. Covenants 3 through 5. Uh, we learned in these sections that Joseph Smith lends pages from the Book of Mormon translation manuscript to Martin Harris, who loses them, that he is then reprimanded by the Lord and unable to translate for a season. So Joseph Smith's father, Joseph Smith Sr., wants to know what his assignments are going to be. So he goes to Joseph Smith, who receives a revelation from the Lord for him. And he also is taught about the qualifications someone needs in order to be a great servant of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Lord then warns of evil plans after the loss of the pages and exhorts people to be humble, specifically Joseph Smith. Yeah, great sections. There's a lot of things we can talk about here and we're interested in your thoughts. There are three specific things we wanna focus in on today. The first is the nature of God's work, how he describes what it is exactly he's doing. How can we better prepare to serve God, specifically uh, drawing upon DNC four and five. And then what can we learn from the story of Martin Harris? So in order to really get into this and have some great insights, we have actually invited one of our wonderful friends, Bonnie Oscarson. Would you join us up here so we can go through these sections together? Such a pleasure to have you here, Thank Bonnie. You. Thank you. So, Bonnie, you served as, as the Young Woman General President from 2013 to 2018. Is That's that right? right. <laughs> and then you and your husband, your husband was the mission president, yours companion, serving in the Sweden. And you're going to help me with the name of this mission. It has two names. Sweden okay. Yittabori Mission or Gothenburg because people can't say Yittabori. Yeah. So. Can you say it, Daniel? <laughs> Yittabori. Very good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ask him in five minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bonnie Oscarson has been a wonderful example as she's worked with the young women of the church and she just loves working with the youth of the church and continues to do so. So thank you, Bonnie. So let's jump right into it. Maybe we can start talking about the nature of God's work. But before we get into that, Barbara, maybe you can give us a little bit of a historical background on um, the sections we're going to be looking at. Yeah, so when I, when I go through the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, between sections two and sections three of the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a lot of, of white space. You see section two, it's, it's September 21st, 1823. Uh, section three is July 1828. So there are about, about five years that have gone by during this time period. Joseph Smith is now 22 years old. He's married to Emma Smith now. They've lost a, a son, a, a child. Joseph has also lost his brother Alvin, which they talk about before, but this is actually happening during this historical period of time here. Joseph has also met Martin Harris. Uh, he's about 20 years his senior. Joseph is poor still. He's trying to work the farm. He's trying to gain this money. He's married. So he becomes, in a sense, dependent upon uh, Martin Harris as he's a wonderful example for him, but he's dependent on him financially as well as they continue this relationship. And so there is a lot here that has transpired between these two sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. So that context, I think, is really important as we start looking at section three. So Bonnie, would you just share with us maybe a, a couple of thoughts that you have regarding these, this section specifically before we get, really get into it? I think section three is an interesting historical section of the Doctrine and Covenants because it is a um, response, the Lord's response to Joseph Smith after he and Martin Harris have lost the 116 pages. And he really calls him to task. He, he sets forth that this is my work and you have really put a wrench in the works, so to speak, in it. And I, I love this section because I think I relate very much to um, the fact that Joseph Smith must have felt like he really had blown it. 
And he even made the statement, my soul is lost, when he realized that the pages were lost. But even though it starts out pretty strongly, you feared man more than you feared God, then when you get down a few verses, he says, but remember, I'm merciful. And you can repent, and you can be forgiven, and I will give the gift back to translate again. And to me, that gives hope to all of us that, yes, we do make mistakes. We are trying to do our best in, in the Lord's work, but we're not always going to be perfect. But um, I love the feeling of the Lord is merciful and will forgive us and will help us to do better again. And you can even see in, uh, I mean, DNC3 itself, if we go there, the Lord doesn't mince any words, yeah, right? No. He makes it very clear to Joseph how he's feeling and how Joseph is messed up. But even what's interesting is like in this in this section, you see not just chastising, but the Lord is also offering Joseph several assurances. So he chastises Joseph. He says, uh, you know, wicked persons do this. You shouldn't have done this. But he also talks about his work. And I want to know like, why might he have added this in here? He says, my work cannot be frustrated. The Lord's paths are straight and his course is one eternal round. He supports those in times of trouble and the Lord keeps his promises. So I'm wondering what kind of effect do you think the Lord wanted that to have on Joseph Smith or what can we learn about it? And to extend the question a little bit, what exactly is God's work that he's referring to here? In fact, in fact, in verse 16, he says, my work shall go forth. Like Joseph, you've blown it. And Martin, you have blown it. Mm -hmm. But you are still my children. You're mm -hmm. still my sons. I still have a work. And God's work, as we know from Moses 139, so often quoted, for behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The, the work of God has not been frustrated. Joseph and, and Martin have a chance to repent. They can get back on it. They can still continue in this process of saving souls. The Abrahamic covenant is still going forward. Uh, they're still in the process of creating this Zion-like community, although they don't even ne necessarily know that that's happening. But God's work will be accomplished. And Joseph and Martin are still going to play this critical role mm. in this work. Don't you think that's a, a consolation to them to know the Lord's work is is greater than all of our little mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're doing our best on it, but his, his work is perfect. It's been established from the foundation of the earth we're taught. Now, I know at some point in, in all of our lives, I would imagine we feel utterly inadequate to meet the task that the Lord gives us. I'm wondering, have you ever had instances like that, Bonnie, where you felt inadequate to, to something the Lord wanted you to do? And how did he make up for your inadequacies? I think every calling I've ever received in the church, <laughs> and, and I think most people can relate to that, um, when you first get called to do something, you feel inadequate. And the one that comes to mind, obviously, is when I was called to be the Young Women General President, because I was kind of an experiment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the women who had been called to this calling before had all come up through the ranks. They'd served on general boards and mm -hmm. as a counselor first, and then, then they were called to be the president. And I had had no experience whatsoever on the general level. So when President Monson issued that call to me, it was just totally out of the blue, and I'd had no premonition that it was coming or inspiration that it was coming. And um, I remember a moment in, in particular that um, was a defining moment for me when I was kind of having a mental meltdown. And I actually cried out to the Lord and said, Heavenly Father, how can I do this? And I got an answer through a, a thought that came into my head. I didn't hear a voice or see a person or anything, but this thought that came into my head that was clearly not my own thought said, I will help you. That was the message, I will help you. And I still am doubting and crying out, but why? And he said, because this is my work. And um, that's something that carried me through the next five years, is that, um, yes, I'm imperfect and I don't have the knowledge, but it's not my work, it's his work. And his work is sure. And I can testify that the Lord, his work is important and he will make sure it happens. And if we're seeking 
his help, he will provide it every time. Yeah, exactly. I bet there's real power in understanding that it's not the work that you have to do, but your role is to be the kind of person through which God can work and accomplish his will. Like the idea that you just have to be disposed and malleable enough for him to do what he wants to do um, with you rather than it having There's to be. There's a certain humility yeah. that has yeah. to, and, and mm. boy, does he say that again and again to both Joseph Smith and Martin Harris. Mm. You need to humble yourselves. You know, I, I think uh, as you as you shared, every one of us in every calling we have, there's those moments of uh, almost imposter syndrome of, you know, how can I possibly be the one to do this? But I also have found in every one of those callings, there's those moments that there's no other explanation for why you're where you are and you run into someone or you have just those experiences that to me are just such tender mercies that testify that it is his work. And if we are humble... He can guide us and, and do whatever he needs through us. And it's not about our qualifications or our skills or our, our natural talents, but it's really that willingness to follow and be humble. Yeah, beautiful. So, thanks. thanks, Mark. I remember one time I was given a calling and I was so completely overwhelmed. And I know that when I just jumped in and went ahead and did everything that I could do, I found that the women I was surrounded by saved me in other aspects of my life, that these women lifted me up and made sure whatever my burdens were, were lightened. And I would have not had any connection with these women. So by saying yes to the Lord to do something I felt was beyond me, he said yes to me and I will help you in this manner. And it's just such a gift that he gives each of us to get us through. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating. One of the things that I love here in section three is the Lord is saying, look, Joseph, look, Martin, you've struggled, but I want you to become like Jesus Christ. And I want you to become heirs to everything that I have. And I am going to do everything I can to help you. I already have a plan. It's already going to happen regardless of what you two do. But I am the Lord who is going to help you through the atonement of Jesus Christ to become what I am. And I think with our callings and the different opportunities that we have to serve, we recognize that, yeah, most things are above us. But it is the Lord that's in control and he's trying to reach us and bring us to the level that he is. So that's been a fantastic topic on the, the nature of God, a wonderful discussion. Having talked about the nature of God's work, maybe we can talk now a little bit more about what qualifies one for the work. Right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so what, what is it, how do we prepare to serve God? So maybe a little bit of context. It's important to know that this is Joseph Smith Sr. It's, it's the prophet's father saying, look, I wanna be of use. I wanna be able to, to help in some way. And so it's Joseph in section four who's praying and receiving a revelation for his father. Mm. And we use this section a lot as talking about missionary work, but Joseph Smith Sr. wasn't, wasn't called to be a, a missionary yet, right? Okay. But he is given, in a sense, these characteristic traits or these qualities of one who is to serve the Lord effectively. So, I mean, one of the things I noticed as I was going through these, these sections is section three relates more to what we shouldn't do. It's the Lord's chastisement of Joseph. And section four relates more to what we should do, the kind of person that we need to be to serve God. So here are some of the qualities, not fearing man more than God, uh, repenting, perfection isn't necessary, serving with uh, everything that we have, the desire to serve, etc. Um, I wonder if we can reflect for just a second on why are these attributes important? for service, which is to say, why can't I just have 
a lot of energy and know what I need to do and go out there and go through the actions, uh, do my invitations, bear my testimony. Why is it that these character attributes are important for serving the Lord, do you think? I think about the, the remark that was made before about how it is the Lord's work, right? And if we're just allowed to go out and essentially run around and try to do whatever comes out of our mind, we don't align ourselves with God. And so in the very end of section four, verse seven, it says, ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. So he invites us to align ourselves with him, to understand his goal, his purpose, to be more Christ-like. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love that idea that doing the Lord's work is intended to have a transformative effect on us as well. It's not just about accomplishing some goal of me preaching the gospel to you. It's about me undergoing a change. I'm part of the Lord's work as well. It's not just the preaching of the gospel or, or some other goal, right? We're all supposed to be cultivating Christ-likeness. That's the Lord's work and glory. It's to bring us to him, to help us to be like him. We have a video uh, question that is coming through. Hi, we're the Finneys. My name is Felicia, and this is my husband, Brandon. I am from Singapore, and he is from Canada, and we currently live in Simi Valley, California. And our Come, Follow Me question for you is inspired by Doctrine and Covenants, Section 3. In verse 1, we learn that the works and the designs and the purposes of God cannot be frustrated, neither can they come to naught. Yet so many times in this mortal life, our plans and our works and our purposes seem frustrated. So why is it that our plans and our works are so often frustrated? And how can we better align our plans and our works with those of God's? I think I would originally just go back to section four um, and look at verse five. I think this is part of one of the things that a missionary or any servant of the Lord, which is all of us would do is he's, they say, and faith, hope, and charity and love. And then this next phrase with an eye single to the glory of God. I think is sometimes we think our plans are being frustrated, but if we have an eye single to the glory of God, uh, our, our plans really don't matter. It's God's plan that matters. And, and if we as missionaries or as people, members of the church and disciples of Jesus Christ recognize that it's God's plan, our plan is, is in a sense a little bit insignificant. And I think if, if we can put ourselves and say, I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm going to do his work and he has called me to this work, uh, he's going to fulfill it just as we were talking about with Joseph Smith and, and Martin before. If you were to kind of go through the scriptures and look at the signs of spiritual maturity, especially in prophets, so Nephi, for example, it's not just that they do what God wants, it's that they want what he wants. I think we can progress to a degree at which our wills are aligned. We have a kind of harmony of will. Um, and I think that's what God wants for us. He wants it, us to be such that our natural expressions are to love. Our natural expressions are to serve. We don't have to be commanded to do it. We're just the kind of people who do it organically and naturally. I think too, we have to, um, once we have put ourselves into that spot where we're saying, I want to align my will to, mm. to the Lord's. We have to understand that he may have a different timetable than we do. Yeah. Uh, the question was about why do our plans not always um, come to pass? Well, the Lord may have a different timetable for you than you have for yourself. And um, I think you just continue to have faith and, and serve the Lord and trust that it will all work out for your best good maybe not what you thought it would be in the first place. I don't know that any part of my life has gone exactly like I thought it would. I don't know, you know, maybe yours has, I don't know. <laughs> but um, just trusting in the Lord, it always works out. And so, you know, just keep moving along and trusting in the Lord, and I think things will work out. And I think the more we take upon these Christ-like attributes, the more effective we are in doing that. In, in fact, I, I love verse 7. It's as if the Lord understands that we're not going to have them all. 
We, we don't have all these attributes. And so he says, ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. So if you don't have an eye single to God's glory, if you aren't full of faith, if you haven't put yourself in a position where you're willing to serve him with all of your heart, mind and strength, ask him, ask him for help. Go to the Lord, see what he can do. Knock, be willing to act on what you're asking and he will help you gain these Christ-like, Christ-like qualities. So verse seven is almost in a sense, it's, it's, a, it's an invitation from the Lord to say, look, you aren't all these things, but your desire is correct. If you continue to ask and if you're continuing to work at this, I will help you become what you need to become. And yeah. an encouragement to ask for the gifts that you might need to accomplish that work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That it's okay to ask for gifts of the spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Thank you. This has been an excellent discussion on, on preparing to serve God and what it looks like, what, what the kind of person we need to be in order to do that. Uh, maybe we can finish up with talking about some lessons we can learn from the story of Martin Harris. Yeah, Martin is quite a character. So we're looking at section five, and Joseph has been continuing to translate the Book of Mormon. He's learning about possibilities of having three witnesses. Martin recognizes that there's this possibility as well, and, and even though he has lost these papers, um, he still puts himself in a position where he wants to be a, a, a witness. He wants to help Joseph in this continued work. There's, there's so much to Martin. And Bonnie, do you, do you mind just taking a second and helping us understand Martin Harris a little bit better? I think he's such an interesting person because he's uh, he's a complicated person, and I find myself um, saying, "Well, he had his good points and his his bad points," and so I can relate because he does get chosen to do a lot of great things to help the church. Um, President Oaks, um, back when he was Elder Oaks, wrote a wonderful talk about Martin Harris called um, "A Witness, Martin Harris." And I I think he had a special interest in him because he is related to him. He's actually the great, great nephew of Martin Harris. And he holds his name, Dallin Harris Oaks. Dallin Harris, he's eight, yeah. Yeah. And um, he points out in in this talk um, some things that I think are important to remember, that sometimes when we think of Martin Harris, we tend to concentrate on the last 116 pages, and that's what we associate with him. And yet, Martin Harris really played a significant role in helping to establish the church in the early days to to establish the the restoration. And he points out in his talk some of these things that he actually fought in two battles in the War of 1812. He was kind of a war hero. He helped support Joseph Smith even before he helped pay for the printing of the Book of Mormon. He had helped him financially. In fact, Joseph actually says to to Martin at one point, Martin offers to give him money and Joseph says, Joseph says, okay, but I'll pay you back later. And Martin says, no, 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 no. I'm trying to serve the Lord, basically. Don't pay me back which is huge at that time for it Joseph. It was huge because Joseph was living in poverty, yeah. actually. He was part of the first high council of the church. He and the uh, other two witnesses of the Book of Mormon were given the responsibility to choose the first 12 apostles. Yeah, There was great responsibility placed upon, you know, the Lord trusted this man and forgave him. One of the points that Elder Oaks makes in his talk is don't, don't judge him just on that one act you know, his one failing, thank heavens. Um, that's a good <laughs> reminder for all of us. None of us want to be judged on the bad things we do in life. Or right. the, yeah. You know, um, but remember him as as a person that really the Lord loved and forgave and and there's great hope in his story. And in the end, he, he at one point did leave the church. All three witnesses left the church, but none of them ever denied their testimonies of what they had been shown, that they had seen an angel, they had been shown the gold plates, and they bore that testimony in strength to the end. And in the, the last of his life, when he was 87 years old, Martin Harris um, had a desire to go to Utah. He had stayed in Kirtland, 
and um, he had a desire to, to be rejoined with the saints. And so he did. And Brigham Young freely forgave him, provided a ticket for him to come to Utah. And he spoke in the tabernacle two times while he was there and bore this strong testimony that he had continued to bear um, about his part in the restoration. So Martin Harris really did play a significant role, and we need to honor him for the, for the great qualities. And remember that lesson that you can always come back. So I think we have a video that might fit in really well with this discussion right now. Hello, my name is Shalay Marker, and I live in Pennsylvania in the Eastern United States. And I have a question about Doctrine and Covenants section three. So in this section, we know that Joseph Smith has um, given the 116 pages to Martin Harris, and the Lord is kind of rebuking him um, for that decision. And I wanted to know, how have you felt the Lord both correct you and encourage you in your life? Um, one of the ways he's encouraged me is, and this seems kind of simple, but it's really been a guiding force in my life, is whenever I try to consecrate my gifts and, and talents to doing good, I, I experience a joy that is very hard to duplicate in other ways. And that just gives me a sense for the kind of direction that the Lord wants me to give. Specifically when I, by profession, I'm a teacher, barbers as well. You know, when I see a student, for example, learn something new or get a concept or cultivate a tool that they can use when they're outside of the class, the joy I feel for that lets me know this is part of the end of my creation, as it were. And I really get a sense for God's plan for me when I use who I am to try to help other people. That's how he's kind of comforted me and guided me throughout my life. Yeah, go ahead. And if uh, you prefer Spanish, we can provide a translation afterwards. Y el punto que tú tocaste es importante porque nosotros, como seres humanos, somos individuales mm -hmm. y no y lamentablemente la tecnología nos hace tener un prototipo, mm -hmm. pero es imposible que podamos ser como el otro. Mm -hmm. Pero qué tenemos que hacer es aprender sobre nuestras fortalezas mm -hmm. y no solo las fortalezas que nosotros usamos día a día, mm -hmm. sino en, en las que tenemos dormidas. Mm -hmm. Like the potential, right? Ajá, mm -hmm. claro. Y mm -hmm. por ahí puede estar la respuesta, porque si empezamos a usar estas fortalezas, ¿cómo las hacemos? Sirviendo. Mm -hmm. Y puede ser que esa persona que está frustrada porque mm -hmm. no consiguió lo que quería, puede ser que yo, al trabajar en mis fortalezas personales, mm -hmm. puedo servir y ayudar y solucionar eso. Mm -hmm. Y esas son respuestas de Dios, porque Dios nos da en cuando nacemos estas fortalezas. Uh -huh. Y si no las descubrimos y no nos estudiamos nosotros uh -huh. internamente, no vamos a poder servir el 100%. Y ese yeah. sí que es un regalo de Dios. Yeah, and I love that idea that God helps us reach our full potential as we serve other people. That's how we come to a self-realization. That's how we know what we can do is by reaching out uh, and, and emulating Christ as much as we can. He kind of reveals us to ourselves, right? And he helps us grow in that way. So like most of the things that we've been like talking about, like things that will eternally help us. And so thinking about it, when we like do things that will eternally help us, that can help us bump up almost like our score of like life, because life is like our test. When we do eternal things, we not only help our life with like temporal things, but we also help ourselves eternally. That's a beautiful comment, David. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you Very insightful. See, see that uh, stated elsewhere in the in the Doctrine and Covenants, the idea that when we follow commandments, the Lord blesses us both temporally and spiritually. Right? Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, so for me, this whole discussion has brought just back me to section four and how I can apply it to more than just one part of my life. At one point in my life, I was a missionary. I served a full time mission, but I'm not that person anymore. 
and I have different callings. I get to be a ministering sister and I have other things that I've been called to do. And if I choose to try to embody all of these attributes that are listed in section four, the Lord will bolster me and help me to be more able and more capable to do all the things that he's called me to do. And it's not just for me, it's for all of us. He gives us these promises that so long as we do our best and try our best to be like Christ, we can accomplish his work in the way that he needs us to. Excellent. It's been a wonderful discussion with everyone. We appreciate yeah, you, you being here. Bonnie, we appreciate your time, your expertise, your experience, uh, and your testimony. Thank you, thank you so for thank having you. me today. This was a joy to be with you. And for those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and questions and insights via social media. Uh, we'd love to see you in the studio sometime, but if you can't join us here, we hope you'll join us next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.